morning. Please open your Bibles to Matthew chapter 15. And when you find that, please stand with me to read God's Word. We're going to be doing a lot of reading of God's Word tonight when we bring the book and read through the Gospel of Matthew. We won't do it all standing, though, unless you really want to. But tonight, um, we'll be reading that whole Gospel. This morning, we'll just be reading several verses here in Matthew 15. We'll begin at verse 21 and go through 28. And Jesus went away from there and withdrew to the district of Tyre and Sidon. And behold, a Canaanite woman from that region came out and was crying, Have mercy on me, O Lord, son of David. My daughter is severely oppressed by a demon. But he did not answer her a word. And his disciples came and begged him, saying, Send her away, for she is crying out after us. He answered, I was sent only to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. But she came and knelt before him, saying, Lord, help me. And he answered, It is not right to take the children's bread and throw it to the dogs. She said, Yes, Lord, yet even the dogs eat the crumbs that fall from their master's table. Then Jesus answered her, O woman, great is your faith. Be it done for you as you desire. And her daughter was healed instantly. Let's pray. Lord, we, we come to you now and we, we are needy like this, this woman. We, we know what's wrong with us and we, we need your mercy. And Lord, we thank you that when we cry out to you, you help us. Lord, thank you that you are our healer that you are the only Savior. Lord, as we, as we look now at your word, we pray that you would teach us. And we pray in Jesus' name, amen. Please be seated. So far, as we've been going through the Gospel of Matthew, and now in, in Matthew chapter 15, this chapter has highlighted the sufficiency of Scripture and the supremacy of Christ. And now another major biblical teaching, the centrality of faith. The Bible speaks often of faith, uh, many kinds of faith. There is weak faith and strong faith and rich faith. There is bold faith and abiding faith and persevering faith. There is dead faith, living faith, precious faith. There's common faith. There is sincere faith, working faith, obedient faith. There's also little faith. And then as we see here in this passage, great faith. This is now the second time in Matthew's gospel that Jesus speaks of great faith. The first time was the Roman centurion when he came and asked for his servant to be healed. And Jesus said he had great faith. Jesus had not seen such great faith even in all of Israel. Interesting to point out that the woman and the centurion were both Gentiles. Here, the context seems to indicate that the woman came to Jesus by faith, not merely for healing, but for salvation. The first few verses of this chapter, we saw that Scripture alone is our authority. That God wants His Word to be our ultimate authority so that we might worship Him appropriately and teach His truth accurately. 
But it, Scripture alone being our authority means that our salvation and our faith and our life is built on the teaching of Scripture alone. Verses 10 through 20 that we saw last week, we saw that Christ alone saves. That Christ alone is the incarnate self-revelation of God and redeemer of humankind. And then to be right with God, we need to focus on a heart-level relationship with Jesus, not a, not a keeping of rules and regulations. But here in this passage today, we see that faith alone saves. Faith alone justifies. That God declares a person righteous in his sight before they actually begin to become righteous. It's not in response to any spiritual or moral goodness in us. But it's the imputed perfect righteousness of God that he requires of anyone who is united to Christ by faith alone. That's the situation that's happening here with this woman, this Canaanite woman. The idea is that when a person trusts in Christ, from that moment on they are clothed in perfect holiness, even though they are still sinful. At the same time, they are holy and sinful, but they're considered blameless by God. And it's all for His glory. The main idea that is brought out in these verses Today is that God mercifully honors faith. He mercifully honors the repentant, humble, persistent faith of those who seek Him. And it's for a reason. It's so that His glory would be put on full display. It's interesting here that the Gentile woman's faith is being contrasted with the Jewish Pharisees' unbelief in the very same context. They were so worried about becoming ceremonially unclean. And in their opinion, nothing made them more unclean than contact with a Gentile. Now Jesus leaves Israel and goes into Gentile territory and interacts and helps a Gentile woman. It shows us that Christ's blessings reach to all who believe. They are not isolated to a select group of people from any one origin. Now what I want to point out today is some things about this woman's faith and also some things about Christ's response and then also some things that God desires for us. So let's begin at verse 21. Verse 21 says that Jesus went away from there where he was before in Galilee and he withdrew to the district of Tyre and Sidon. Tyre and Sidon were coastal towns on the Mediterranean Sea. They were northwest uh, Philistia or Phoenicia. It would be modern-day Lebanon, bordering Galilee to the west. In Israel, the terms Tyre and Sidon, uh, referring to these two places, was proverbial for, basically for rank pagans, rank unbelievers, ungodly, not worthy and not, not fit to stand in God's presence. And so... They were the object of, of the Old Testament prophets' condemnation because of their Baal worship, because of their pride over their power and their wealth. They were deserving of God's judgment for their idolatry. But he goes to the district of Tyre and Sidon. He goes into Gentile territory. Mark tells us in Mark chapter 7, the parallel passage, that Jesus went into a house and wanted to remain un unknown that he was there, but it said he couldn't be hidden. Jesus can't be hidden. His presence can't be hidden. He went into a house, didn't want anyone to know, but they knew. And verse 22 tells us that, um, behold, 
If you've been with us in Matthew, you know that behold is a big word. It means listen, something significant is about to happen. Something extraordinary is about to take place. Behold, a Canaanite woman. Mark chapter 7 says that she was a Gentile Syrophoenician woman. Syrian Phoenicia. She was a descendant of Israel's former enemies. Those they were to drive out of the promised land. This woman comes up to Jesus. Very interesting. This is a Canaanite woman. And um, you might remember back in chapter 11, verse 21, Jesus uh, pronounced woes on certain Jewish cities. Particularly, verse 21, Chorazin and Bethsaida. And he said, Woe to you, Chorazin and Bethsaida, if the miracles that were done in you had been done in Tyre and Sidon, they would have repented. Here it looks like they're getting their chance. Now, James Montgomery Boyce pointed out something uh, crucial about this passage that, and about Matthew's gospel in general. Uh, when you think about Matthew's gospel, it's, it's kind of common knowledge that uh, it's the most Jewish of the four gospels. And it's true. But in spite of being the most Jewish of the four gospels, he is the most open to Gentiles. Matthew chapter 2. Uh, Gentile wise men from the east came and worshipped the child Jesus. Matthew chapter 28, the gospel ends with Jesus commanding us to go and make disciples of all nations. So Matthew is very open to Gentiles. William Barclay rightly said of this passage that it foreshadows the going out of the gospel to the whole world. And it foreshadows the beginning of the end of all barriers. Now, what was extraordinary about this woman's faith? I'll point out three things. The first is this, that she, this Canaanite woman, this one that was seen as um, an outcast, unworthy, unfit, this woman was repentant. Repentant. She came to Jesus, verse 22, and, and here is what she said. She said, have mercy on me. She came out crying this out. She didn't just say it once. She kept saying it. Have mercy on me. That's the cry of someone who, who knows their true condition. The cry of someone who knows their sinful condition. That they're under the wrath of God. They're under the, the judgment of God. That they need help and they can't help themselves. This lady cries out, Have mercy on me, O Lord. Calls him the son of David. This Jewish messianic term for the deliverer, the hope of Israel. And she says, my daughter is severely oppressed by a demon. She's coming and she's, she's taking up for her daughter and saying, I need help. She needs help. She saw being oppressed by a demon as, rightly so, a bad thing. Here's someone from a pagan land, from a pagan people, who sees something that's pagan and says, this is not right. She comes to Jesus and says, have mercy on me, O Lord. Have mercy she wanted good for her daughter, so she came to him who was the only one who was truly good. She was familiar with Jewish messianic tradition. She called him the son of David. And he, she asked for his merciful, gracious, miraculous healing, a ministry of cleansing for her daughter. She uses this title, Lord, three times. Verse 22, verse 25, verse 27. It's a title of great respect. And for some people, it stops there. 
But especially in this case, it seems that it goes further than that. Verse 23 is very interesting. I, I, it's hard to explain. There are many views of why Jesus now does what he now does. But he did not answer her. Didn't say a word. Did not, did not speak in response to her request for mercy. It's, it's puzzling to us. It's interesting. But we don't have time to even think about that because then his disciples come up. His disciples come up to him and literally beg him to send her away. Send her away. She's bugging us. Send her away. She's crying out after us. See, she's saying it over and over again and it become a nuisance to them. It was, it was grating on them. And they couldn't take it anymore and they said, Jesus, get her out of here. This lady who was asking for mercy. Jesus, verse 24, answers. He says, and this is, uh, this is all puzzling to us. He says, I was sent only to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. Back in chapter 10, Jesus is, is sending out his, his 12 disciples and he gave them authority over unclean spirits cast them out and to heal all diseases and all afflictions and when he sent them out here's what he told them verse 5 he said go nowhere among the Gentiles enter no town of the Samaritans but rather go to the lost sheep of the house of Israel now it doesn't mean the lost sheep who happen to be in Israel amongst the found sheep. It, it means the lost sheep who are the house of Israel. The whole house of Israel was lost. And Christ's mission was first to his chosen people. Now they would later reject the gospel, opening the door for the blessings of God's grace to be bestowed upon Gentiles. But the order was first Israel, then the nations. All Israel. Jesus is the suffering servant who... Matthew 1 tells us, uh, came to save his people from their sins. That's why he came. It's pretty obvious. It was pretty clear. Uh, Isaiah 53 spoke of this. All we like sheep have gone astray. Each of us has turned to his own way. And the Lord has caused the iniquity of us all to fall on him. But Jesus went first to Israel in fulfillment of the promises made to them so that the Gentiles could glorify God for the promises made. She calls him son of David. And what he was pointing out to her is that him being the son of David did not give her automatic right to the benefits covenanted to Israel. The kingdom first had to be offered to them. As John 4.22 says, salvation is of the Jews. In that context with the Samaritan woman at the well. Think of the woman at the well. She had to learn the same thing this Canaanite woman learned in the time. It was all about timing. We don't have to worry about these same things, this side of the cross. But then it was all about timing. It was, and it was just not then. It was when true, there would be a day when true worshipers would worship him in spirit and in truth. And they would transcend, it would transcend all former distinctions. But this woman's request for mercy, it showed repentance. She was aware of her condition. She was aware of her sinfulness. She believed in Jesus as Messiah, that he was the hope of Israel, that he was the only Savior. 
Think about John the Baptist. When he came on the scene, and it's recorded in Matthew 3, verse 2, when he came on the scene, he came preaching, and he said, repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. When Jesus comes on the scene, scene verse, uh, chapter 4, verse 17, he comes preaching the same thing, repent, for the kingdom of God is at hand. Romans chapter 2, speaking of people who were basically trashing God's grace and God's kindness, in Romans 2, it points out that God's kindness is what leads us to repentance. Verse 4, it says, Do you presume on the riches of his kindness and forbearance and patience, not knowing that God's kindness is meant to lead you to repentance? Repentance is a change of mind that leads to a change in direction. We so often talk about it as just making an about face, and you could easily think of that in the physical term and just turn around. But it's an inward word first. It is a change of mind that then flows out into a change of direction in life. You, you resolve, you decide to go in a different direction, to think differently about God, to think differently about your sin, to think differently about your need. That's what this woman was doing. What does Ephesians chapter 2 and verse 4 tell us? Well, we were dead in our transgressions and our sins, but God, being rich in mercy, acted on our behalf, brought us into his kingdom, drew us to himself. She was repentant. That's the first thing. The second thing we see about her faith and about her is that she was humble. She was humble. Look at verse 25. It says, but she came. Now, this is after Jesus hadn't spoken to her. After he had responded to the disciples and said, I have only been sent to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. But she comes back and kneels down before him. The English doesn't do it justice. It, she continually knelt down before him. She continually bowed before him. The word literally means to worship. She was continually worshiping at his feet and then just saying, Lord, help me. She was saying this over and over again. Lord, help me. Breaks your heart, doesn't it? She wants help so bad. She's coming to Jesus and she very much like another Gentile woman from Sidon who came to Elijah asking uh, for healing for her son. But Jesus then gives another response, verse 26. And it, again, it's hard for us to get, but it makes sense as we, as we look at it. it said, he says, it is not right to take the children's food and throw it to the dogs. Go back to... Matthew chapter 7. Matthew chapter 7, uh, verse 6. He says, Jesus says in the Sermon on the Mount, do not give dogs what is holy. And do not throw your pearls before, before pigs, lest they trample them underfoot and turn to attack you. Now, uh, Jesus calls her a dog. This is hard for us to understand. And because if we did that to someone, we would be sinful and unkind. But Jesus is never sinful, never unkind. So he had to do this with the utmost honor and respect for her as a woman and for a human being. 
But he says it's not right to give the children's bread, and the children there would be the children of Israel, the children's provision, what, we're, what God is giving to care for them, and throw it to the dogs. Mercifully, Jesus uses a term that means a, a kind of more of a, a domesticated dog. Most dogs in those days were uh, out there, you know, ranging wild and, and just packs of dogs, not pets. I remember being in India one time and I was running, uh, doing a little workout, and I'm, I'm in a public park, and across the park I see a pack of dogs. So obviously I get a little nervous, and, uh, but I had to go around them, and as I went around them, they didn't even look at me. Because they were just mangy street dogs with their ribs showing, and they didn't want to eat me, they wanted something else. They just wanted small morsels of food. And uh, I was, I was uh, relieved. Jesus isn't talking here about a pack of angry wild dogs on the street. He's talking about a house pet. But he said it's still not right to give the children's food to the dogs. You wouldn't do that. Now, now Paul, when he refers to the enemies of the cross, he refers to them as dogs. Gentiles, to the Jews, were seen as dogs. They called them that. They would call uh, Gentiles dogs. They would call infidels dogs. They even called Christians dogs later on. But Jesus was not saying that the use of this term was good. He's just using a common name for Gentiles. Politically incorrect, but a common name for Gentiles. And he was emphasizing her Gentile status. Paul talked about the Gentile status in Ephesians 2 and verse 12, that they were excluded from citizenship in Israel, that they were foreigners to the covenant of the promises, that they were without hope and they were without God in the world. But this woman had faith. This woman had a marvelous gift from God called faith. We know that because Jesus said so. She had faith. It was great. It was big. It was mega. And so this woman was willing to stoop to the lowest humble level to receive God's blessing. She's basically saying, I'll take the crumbs. The crumbs are better than what's out there. It's, It's as if she's saying, I've searched high and low and there's no other answer but you, Jesus. I'll take whatever scraps are left over. That's better than what the world will offer. She was humble. What else was she? She was persistent. She was persistent. Look at verse 27. Well, first you've seen it already that she she kept crying out and that she kept kneeling down. But in verse 27, she comes back with another angle and basically agrees with Jesus. Yes, Lord, I know that. It's true. I am a dog. That's what she's saying. We're we're Gentiles. that's, That's us. That's our identity. We understand that. Yes, Lord, but even dogs eat the crumbs that fall from their master's table. They're cared for. They're provided for in some way because they're there in the household. They've got some place. So she uses the same example, but then stresses that even domesticated dogs are cared for and provided for by their masters. And so why shouldn't she get what she's asking for? Because she believes in him. It's a good argument. If you're an attorney, you go, yeah, that's a, that's a good comeback. This lady is persistent, but she's not just persistent, she's, per, she's perceptive. She gets it. She, she had already confessed Jesus as the Messiah, the son of David, and now she calls for the promises of God extended to Gentiles. She understood the Old Testament, that Israel got the primary blessings, 
But believing Gentiles would also receive the blessing promised to Abraham that all nations would be blessed in him. Think about how Matthew's... Go to the very beginning of Matthew. Matthew chapter 1, verse 1. Been a long time since we were there. Been three years since we were there. But here's how it begins. The book of the genealogy of Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham. It was important to Jews and Gentiles. The, the name Jesus comes from Yeshua, Yahweh saves. It's an Old Testament term. It's short form of Joshua. Yahweh is salvation. And Christ goes back to David as the anointed king of Israel regarding the promise of an anointed one who would be the hope for Israel. God promised David through Nathan the prophet that his descendants and his house, his throne, would, would be established forever. Second Samuel chapter 7. It was a promise fulfilled in Jesus as the son of David. But Jesus is also the son of Abraham, preceding David. The covenant made with Abraham beforehand established Israel as the chosen people and a promise that his line would be a blessing to whom? All nations. So Jesus answers her in verse 28 and says, O woman, your faith is great. It's big. It's mega. It's huge. It's, it's amazing. He gave her the faith. She's, she's exercising that faith. But he says this, your, your, your faith is great. Be it done for you as you desire. It's done. The word of Christ reigns supreme here. And that very moment, her daughter was healed, free, released, delivered from evil. This woman was humble, repentant. I mean, have mercy on me. Kept bowing down. Help me. She was persistent. She didn't give up. Three times she comes back to Jesus. Final time, yes, Lord, but... By faith she understood Jesus alone could meet her need. It's a lesson that every sinner needs to learn. So God honored this woman's repentant, humble, persistent faith. Now Jesus is always extraordinary, but what was extraordinary about this particular response? Let me point out a few things. First of all, Jesus was merciful to her. She asked for mercy. He was merciful. Even though he did not initially speak to her, he didn't say no. A.W. Pink said that saving faith is not a native product of the human heart. It is a spiritual grace communicated from on high. It's from God. Jesus was merciful to her, gave her faith, didn't, didn't take her, send her away, listen to her. But he was also compassionate to her. He, he felt her pain. The, the biblical term for compassion means the inward part, to feel with the inward parts. All your inward organs just kind of just feeling. It's where you get it, feel it in your gut. When you see someone, you just think, oh, my heart goes out to them. Wow, they're going through so much pain. What could I do for them? Jesus was compassionate. In fact, when he said, oh, woman, we run right past that. We don't use the word oh that often, right? Oh, 
is a huge word here. It mean, it's an emotional response. Jesus was entering into her situation. She, he felt for her deeply at, at, a, at a deep, deep level. And then Jesus was ready, willing, and able to deliver. To bring deliverance. He, he says, as you wish. In the New American Standard, it says, as you wish. Be it done for you as you wish. It kind of bring me, bring, reminded me of, of this movie, uh, an old movie called The Princess Bride. <laughs> and it's going to sound funny, but just stay with me for a moment. Uh, Wesley and Buttercup. And Wesley loved Buttercup. And his code word for I love you was as you wish. And every time she asked him for something, he would just say, as you wish, which meant, I love you. Uh, it was interesting, because as soon as I read that, I'm thinking, wow, that's like Jesus saying to this Gentile, ostracized, unworthy person made in his image, I love you. I'm going to act for good on your behalf. I have your best interest in mind. So what extraordinary response would God desire for us? As we read about this lady, as we read about Jesus, once again we see of Jesus consistently who he is. He is merciful, he is compassionate. He is ready, willing, and able to deliver from evil. But what extraordinary response might God desire for us as a result of being exposed to this? Let's just go right along with where this this lady was going, where God brought her, what God desired for her, what God enabled for her. The first is that we would be repentant, that we would be repentant, that we would sincerely seek his mercy, that we would consider ourselves in need of it, that you would consider yourself in need of God's mercy. That the prayer, Lord, have mercy on me, would be often on your lips and on your heart. And also that we would be humble. That we would be humble. That we would consider ourselves worthy, unworthy of his love. That, that you would consider yourself unworthy of God's love and of his kindness. That you would cry out for mercy. Do you know that God answers the humble prayers of his children? you know the prayer, Lord, have mercy on me? That will be answered. you know the prayer, Lord, help me? That will be answered. It's interesting that when we seek someone else's mercy, we wait. We have, they have a decision to make. And they may withhold that. But when we ask God for mercy, the decision's already been made. We say, Lord, have mercy. And he says, if you only knew how much mercy I have already showered on you. Only knew. And we ought to be persistent. God desires for us to be persistent. It brings us right back to the Sermon on the Mount. This lady didn't hear the Sermon on the Mount. But she knew the message. Matthew 7, verse 7. What did Jesus say? Keep asking. Keep seeking. Keep knocking. You ask, you'll receive. Seek, you will find. You knock, the door will be open for you. 
So you keep doing that. You keep seeking, you keep asking, you keep knocking on, on, on Christ. Go to him. Consider him like this woman did as the only answer for your situation. Make that plural. The only answer for all your situations. One other thing. One other thing before we close is this. Something else. It's really interesting. You think about this. I think that those who are most aware that they have received God's mercy are the most able to extend mercy, to, get, to show mercy to other people. Those who are most, most aware that they have received God's mercy are the most able and willing to give that mercy to others. We are called to be merciful. We are called to show mercy. Mercy means to alleviate the sin, excuse me, alleviate the, the misery brought on by sin. It, it, ta- it, it gives us what we, grace gives us what we don't deserve. Mercy holds back what we do deserve. It's withholding the wrath due to sin. But I think that those who are most aware of receiving mercy are most able to show it to others. But here's where the problem comes in. Many people will say, Christ followers, they're not merciful. Many people within the church of Jesus Christ will say, my brothers and sisters in Christ, they're not merciful. Isn't that interesting? That often people will see mercy in Jesus, but not in his followers. Well, the disciples were not merciful. They were not compassionate. Hey, Jesus, get her out of here. They were repelled by her. They were annoyed by her. She was a problem to take care of. We treat people the same way. So Christ's church, we know what we're like. Christ's church is full of sinful, broken, needy people. That's us. That's you, me, and everyone we know. But we have a holy, righteous, perfect Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. And people do see that Jesus is more merciful than his people. But here's the good news. Here's the gospel news. He is making his people more like him. Therefore, he is making us more and more merciful. It happens when you go through something that you didn't choose and it's a pain, or it's a struggle, or it's a, it tears your heart apart, and then you go, ah, oh, I know what people feel like when they go through that. See, mercy like love is a choice. Compassion is a heart-level response where you empathize and feel for someone else. And deliverance comes only from God, so we point people to the only healer. But here's what we see. That God mercifully honors the repentant, humble, persistent faith of those who seek him so that his glory will be put on full display. Christ must be seen in all his glory. You look at the next passage of scripture. We'll look at it next week, but verses 29 through 31. All these healings take place. He basically goes back to Israel, back down near the Sea of Galilee. He goes up on a mountain, sits down, taking the posture of a teacher. Great crowds come to him. And who do they bring? The lame, the blind, the crippled, 
the mute, and many others. You can just imagine the things that they were, that they were, uh, that they were dealing with. I said he healed them all. He healed all of them. And, and when, they, when the people saw the results, it says they glorified the God of Israel. Ephesians 1 tells us that we are to be, we who are chosen by God before the foundation of the world, we who come to faith in Christ, we who cling to Christ as our only hope, are to be to the praise of his glory. The praise of his glory. 